0: Revelation chapter 3, and notice if you would here, the church of Laodicea, verse 14. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. I knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich. White raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes. Well, I saw that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Now notice verse 20 if you would please. Behold, Jesus speaking to the church, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus standing outside the door of his church knocking. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Then take your Bible, just go over to Revelation chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 2, verse 4. The church of Ephesus, Revelation 2, 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left... Thy first love. Let's pray together. Father, help me, I do pray. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these who've come. I know they could have chosen to go any any of the sessions. And Lord, I'm thankful they're here. Fill me, I pray. Use me to be a blessing. And thank you for what we've already learned this morning. It has filled my heart and my mind. And I pray, God, that you would help us to glorify Jesus Christ in our ministry. Thank you so much for, Lord, allowing us to serve you. It is a great privilege and honor. We don't deserve it. But we're having a great time doing it. Thank you for so thank you so much for giving us your grace to serve you, and bless this time in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. Why is Jesus knocking on the church of uh, the door of the church? Is it possible to plant a church and a pastor church and to be in the ministry and Christ not be preeminent? Is it possible to preach sermons and sing songs? And lead Bible studies and have ministries where Christ is not uh, having his proper place. Well in Revelation chapter 3 he is to the church of Laodicea knocking saying I want to sup with you but I'm knocking trying to get in. Now what a sad thing it would be for Victory Baptist or whatever church God allows you to plant or be a part of to be going through the motions of ministry and Christ trying to have to get your attention to even be in the church. And that's what's going on in Revelation 3. Now, notice in the story that uh, they had a congregation. It was a church. A church is saved, baptized people. There were people meeting. Notice they had works. Verse 15 of Revelation 3. I know thy works. They were working in the ministry. And notice they were rich. Verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm, I will, uh, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. To the eye of the beholder, this church had people, they had money, maybe they had a building. I don't know what they had, but they had a lot of things that I wish I had. But yet at the end of the chapter, Jesus is saying, I want to sup with you. In fact, he calls this rich church with works and people to repent. That's that's kind of a sobering passage. And whatever ministry God calls us to do, we must understand, as we've heard this morning, that we are there for the primary purpose of not building us up or even anybody else up or a name. We are there to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must, we'll talk about this, you must decide that now before you even start. Or it could be that one day in a class or pastoring a church, you might find Jesus Knocking, trying to get in, to sup with you in your ministry. And so we're talking about keeping Christ in the church plant, keeping Christ at the center of the church. God has given us six, almost six wonderful years, and uh, I I pray that Christ has been the center. And I pray that until he comes or takes me out of the way, that he will be the center of the Victory Baptist Church. And so I want to share with you a few thoughts this morning and challenge you Uh, To keep Christ the center. And so look at your notes if you would please and uh, write some things down if you would like. Number one, if we're going to keep Christ the center of the church plant. Number one, there must be a proper definition of Christ and his church. You must know who you're serving and you must know why you're serving. You can't go in blindly. You can't go in, as Pastor Chapel said this morning, uh, figuring things out later. Now, you'll grow, and boy, i tell you, the areas God has grown me, and I know I've got a long ways to grow, but you must go into your ministry with a basic doctrinal position before you start because what you believe, that'll be the direction and the focus of your church. And so a proper definition. A.W. Tozer said this, and, and I've thought a lot about this uh, lately. We're doing a Sunday School series on the doctrine of God. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. What comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Your view of God and how you view God is so important. High view of God, a high view of the church. A high view of God, a high view of your marriage. A high view of God, a high view of preaching. A high view of God, a high view of giving. Look, a high view of God, listen to this, a high view of changing diapers in the nursery. No, I've never changed a diaper in the nursery. But whatever your ministry is, you will have a high view of that ministry because you will have a high view of God. Develop your doctrinal position on God now so when God calls you to go, you have a firm foundation of what you believe so you can go the right direction, not based on what Pastor Chapel described as what everybody else wants you to do, but on your high view of God and what God wants you to do. You must have a proper definition of Christ and His church. So letter A, a proper doctrine will clear up confusion. A proper doctrine will clear up confusion. A proper definition of who Christ is. Know who Christ is. Now, I know we're talking a little bit academically. Know, your do- know Christology. We'll talk about ecclesiology in a moment. Uh, we'll get to having a relationship with Christ in a moment. But know your doctrine. Uh, I was talking to uh, Brother Donnie Wilson. We, we came to West Coast. I came in 98, graduated in 2001. And to be honest, I don't know where half or almost all my notes are from college. I wish maybe I would have paid attention. Uh, worked nights at Rite Aid, amen. And tried to stay awake in class and got called out by Dr. R. Different story another time. But anyways, I remember all, and think of some things I missed. And now, opening up the commentaries and the doctrinal textbooks and all that. Know who Christ is. The God you believe from the Bible is not the same God as the other religions. You must have an understanding of who Christ is. If, if Victory Baptist Church belongs to Jesus, I want to know the owner of Victory Baptist Church. A proper understanding of who he is will allow me to submit to his wishes because I know who he is. Noah's virgin birth. Know all the prophecies of the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament. Know His uh, humanity. Know His deity. Know the Trinity. Uh, Know about the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Know about one God, Deuteronomy 6 and other passages. Know about His uh, incarnation. Know about His death. Know about His uh, shed blood, the atonement. Know about the resurrection. Know about His second coming. Know about all of these things. Get it down now because what you're going to do is plant... Christ Church it's his church. we'll get to that in a moment. So a proper definition, John one one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. ...that was made. 1 Timothy three fifteen and 16... ...but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God... ...which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth... And what's the truth, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Know who Jesus is. Have a proper definition. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 is another good one. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. A proper definition of who Christ is, but also a proper definition of the local church. Know what a church is. Uh, Know know all about the church. Uh, The church isn't the same as the Elks Club or uh, a sports organization. Uh, A church is special. And you ought to know, you ought to love the local church. Uh, You ought to know who originated the church. Jesus is the originator of the church. Matthew 16, 18. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church. Understand that's not Peter he's saying he's going to build the rock on. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're one size of stone, but I'm the rock and I'm going to build my church on me. The church is not man's idea or a convention's idea or a Bible college's idea. The church is something God designed and God originated so that I help you when you preach because the church doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The originator, how about this? If he originated, that means he owns the church. Matthew 16, I will build my church. My church. Um, I've already done it here, and people have done it to me already here. And I know what they mean, but sometimes people say, Hey, Brother Rick, how's your church doing? Brother Tom, how's your church doing? And I know what they mean. You're the pastor, you're the one that's from the church here at the college. How's your church doing? But remember that Victory Baptist does not belong to Rick Owens. It never has and it never will. Victory Baptist Church belongs to Jesus Christ. He owns the church. So when he says move, we follow him. When he says stay, we follow him. When his words teach us doctrine, we stay by that doctrine. Why? Because it's his church and that's what he once preached in his church. So he originated it. He owns the church, and then He orders the church. Colossians 1.18, and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, all things, He might have the preeminence. That means from the nursery, to the weed pullers, to the preacher, to the choir, to those who paint and decorate in full bulletins, in all things, Christ might have preeminence. Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. You know the analogy of marriage there. But the principle is, the reason we say things like, Husbands, lead your families. Wives, follow it. The only way we can say that, fellas, and get away with it, is because he's giving the illustration of Christ in the church. There ain't no way my wife's going to follow me and obey me if Christ didn't say to do it. Amen. But that's the picture, is the church follows Christ because he originated it, he owns it, so he gives the orders and we say, yes, sir, it's his church. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number uh, 2, you fellows know the verse well. Paul said this to Timothy, preach the word. Now, we'll talk about preaching in a moment uh, in the church because that's what Christ wants us to do. But remember that Paul didn't say, Timothy, preach. He told him what to preach. Timothy, preach the word. Why? This is Christ's church. He designed it. He owns it. He orders it. It's his words that the people need to hear, not the words of Rick Owens. Timothy, preach, but don't just get up there and yell and have a good time. Preach something. How about preach the word? And what is the word we have? It's the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, a proper definition. If you want your church, the one you plant, the one God wants you to pastor, if you want that church to have Christ as supreme and preeminent and the head of that church, then you must first have a proper definition. You must know what you believe. You must know where you're coming from. You must have it down before you ever start. Very important. Letter B, a proper doctrine will chart your course. I'll quickly just give you this. 2 Timothy three fifteen and 16. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Timothy, pastor that church. Remember the scripture you were taught. Why? It's going to chart your course. This book, the words of Jesus, is your compass. Follow the compass. Why? It's Christ's church. He's God. He's the Lord. He designed the church. He owns it. Preach His words. And therefore, your chart will, your course will be charted. Well, I don't know where God's going to take our church. I don't know. Right now, we're praying about uh, the Lord would open something up for us. We're, we're having classes in the hallways. And we're, uh, we're packing it out for Easter. And God's blessing us. And, and I have really, right now, no idea what to do next. I have no clue what to do next. But I know this, that it's his church and he will open doors and he will guide and, and he will lead. And as long as I preach the word of God and I'm faithful to him, he's already got a course for Vi- Victory Baptist Church to go down and I can trust him. So uh, a proper uh, doctrinal definition is imperative to keeping Christ in the church Instead, if you get away from him, you'll hear this. I want back in my church. You don't want to hear that. right? number two, if you're going to keep Christ in the church, there must be a personal decision to keep Christ in the church plant. You are the pastor, you are the leader, and the pulpit will set the direction from the church you must have already decided before you started the very first service before you printed flyers before you went on deputation you must have already decided that this will be the church of the lord jesus christ and we will follow you must have that decided in your heart you can't play with that and maybe one day decide well i just don't know what's i don't know which direction i'm going to go Boy, I tell you, uh, there's no way you could have slept during Pastor Chapel's lecture this morning. That was awesome. And I'll tell you, he made it, you, you could tell he was fired up about some things. And, and, and part of the thing is, is if I'm not careful, I can start something, having no plan, no doctrinal definition or distinction for it, Not evident, well, I'll just start it and see what happens. No, 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 you must decide before that no matter what, you're sticking with Jesus Christ. Friends forsake you, people don't like you anymore, people leave the church. One day all this stuff, it doesn't matter, this is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not my church. You must decide that now. Letter A, your decision will be developed from your walk with God. The more you walk with God, the more you fellowship with Jesus the more you'll fall in love with Him and you won't want want to go any other direction. The more you fall in love with Him, the more you will want to stay right down the line with Jesus Christ. Well, one of the greatest I'm studying right now for our Sunday night series out of the book of Jude, Enoch, well, what a great prophet in the book of Jude. Stirring, sobering, passionate, fervent prophecy, preaching. But in Genesis 5, the Bible says this, in Genesis 5, and 24, and Enoch walked with God. Verse 24, and Enoch walked with God. You know where the power was for Enoch? It wasn't in the sermon. It was when he started to walk with God. If you're not walking with God, you're not ready to plant a church. You're not ready to preach sermons. Until you develop a passion to know Jesus Christ. If you just go in there thinking, well, I'll just study pastor chapel sermons and preach his sermons for the next 15 years, you can't do that. You've got to study those sermons. You've got to develop. You've got to grow. And keeping Christ in the church when you're loving him and when you're walking with him and when your eyes are on him, you won't want to look everywhere else for this and that to see what, what we can do. You're going to say, Jesus, I want you. This is your church. I'm walking with you. I love you. If you love your wife, you want to spend time with her. And if you love Jesus, you'll want to spend time with Him. Your decision will develop from your walk with God. Psalms 42.1 As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Can I ask you a question? What are you panting for right now in your life? Or should I ask this? Who are you panting after? Don't. Pant after the grand idea of planting a church. Pant after the God of the church. Well, I want to be the next great church planter. I want my name in the sword of the Lord one day. I- I'm going I'm to have a church. Forget all that. You pant after God and God will build the church. Fall in love with Jesus. Don't first fall in love with the church. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is, he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let it be, your decision will be fueled by your focus. It'll be fueled by your focus. You're walking with Jesus, you're talking with Jesus in prayer. And then you go and you figure out, okay, where do I go for information on church planning? How should I do this program? What should I do? And I love the emphasis Pastor Chapel and others have placed already this morning. That you always come back to the textbook, the guidebook that's gonna chart your course. It's the word of God. This book will fuel that fire in your heart to keep Christ in the church and not to go off in all the crazy different directions. The word of God. John 5:39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And again, Second Timothy 4, verse 2. Timothy, preach the word. The pulpit, I'm telling you, will set the direction from the, for the church. We'll get to that in a minute. And your decision will be cultivated by your company. Pastor Chappell said so much about this this morning. The books you read, the blogs you read, the websites you visit, uh, uh, the preaching you listen to on, um, online, or I still have a couple of buckets of preaching tapes in my garage. Conferences you go to, opinions of others, commentaries you read. Pastor Chappell said all that stuff you read and follow, uh, there may be some things here or there, but be careful because all that stuff will influence you one way or another. I have found that... Um, I need to be careful uh, what I listen to on Saturday evening before I preach Sunday morning. Um, if I listen to, um, you know, uh, maybe some old fiery evangelist, uh, then it doesn't matter what the topic is or the text is Sunday morning, I'll kind of have that. We need revival. Revival's in every passage, you know. We need revival. Everything's revival. And then if I listen to a good expository sermon, then I'll preach the And it kind of just it influences you. Even the sermons I listen to, uh, influence sometimes how I'm doing in my preaching, and so be careful with the books you read and all that stuff, because the direction you go will be will be a decision that is cultivated by your company. A uh, pastor chapel really helped me uh, years ago when I was here at Bible College, and Doctor Rasmussen talking about the friends that you have and the company that you have, and listening to wise counsel. Uh, pastor Martins was my pastor at Central Baptist Church in Clovis, California. Grew up under him. And he had a wealth of, of knowledge and history and heritage. And he'd sit me down and, and tell me stories of the old time fundamentalist days and some of the things I needed to know and help me with what was essential, what was not essential, and, and where to be careful and my spirit not to become a Pharisee and, and where to stand and all. It was very helpful. But a guy that's my age doesn't know all about that. Right now, Pastor Martin's in heaven, but Pastor Tom King in Hanford has been a real friend to me over 20-some years there in Hanford. Pastor Chapel and Dr. Getch, and, and I have a brother, uh, you know, sometimes the professors have them on speed dial. Hey, what do you think about this, and what does this mean? And, and, and you know, it's, it's great. The company you keep will affect the decision you make to go your own direction or to keep Christ in the church plant. So number two is the decision that you make. But number three, there must be a passionate declaration of Christ in the church plant. There must be a passionate declaration of Christ in the church plant. If Christ owns the church, and you are walking with Christ, and you have decided To keep Christ there. It's His church. He's the head of the church. You're not going to go to the right. You're not going to go to the left. You're going to stay right down the middle. Follow Christ. Serve Christ. You're going to honor Christ. It's not me. It's it's all about Jesus Christ. Then, Then the place where that must be communicated every single service is from behind the pulpit. Preach Jesus Christ. If it's His church don't get sidetracked on everything else. And, and I know Pastor Chapel said eloquently, uh, like what he said, there's times to say things about this and that. But, but get back to the word of God as, as he does every service. And brother, gets, just preach Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit of God do the work. You can't preach a better sermon than preaching on Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple thoughts on, on preaching. Letter A, the commission for the pulpit. Again, 2 Timothy 2 4, uh, 4. 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, there's time for that. Rebuking, there's times for that. But also exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. Make sure, whether you have a crowd of 10 or 30 or over 100, make sure that when you get behind the pulpit, every single service, your people are hearing over and over again Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, from the Word of God, the Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Rick Owens won't change anybody's life, but Jesus Christ changes lives. The commission for your pulpit is not for you to lift up yourself. It's for you to lift up Jesus Christ. Not all your hobbies. Not all your, you know, this and that. Not whatever you got. Preach Jesus Christ, and he'll build the church. Let me give you some verses. Uh, Nope, I'll wait on that. Spurgeon said this, and I, I love this. Spurgeon said, we cannot play at preaching. We preach for eternity. You're not up there to... To to try and you know out preach the guy across town or or so hey maybe someone from the college will notice me and I can come back and teach or preach or maybe they'll have me back in chapel or boy I hope someone pats me on the back after that sermon I really ripped it up last Sunday and boy I just I preached to... if that's your motivation you've got the wrong idea about preaching you are there to lift up Jesus Christ so people leave not being all excited that boy their pastor tore it up this last Sunday but the goal is for them to leave saying. Boy, what a great God we serve. Our pastor pointed us back to Jesus Christ. That's the commission for the pulpit. And that's what we got to do. Boy, the very first Sunday, whether it's you and your family or whether it's a small crowd of people, or you have 500, or whatever it is, you set the precedent, as we heard this morning, and you preach Jesus. You preach Jesus. You preach Jesus. Spurgeon said, when I get up to preach, I make a beeline for the cross. Preach Jesus Christ. You won't change their lives by your talent, sir, but Jesus will change their lives by His blood and what He's done for them. Preach Jesus Christ. That's the commission. For the pulpit, let her be the champion of the pulpit. It's not the preacher. It's Jesus Christ. Acts 5.42 And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts 17, 2 and 3. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs to have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 1:23, But we preach Christ crucified. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. The champion of the pulpit is not the pastor. The champion of the pulpit is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how good I am. And, and, and be careful you don't make yourself the hero of every story and every, you know, use illustrations and all that stuff. But bring it all around to how good God is and what Christ has done for you. He's the champion, not you. The champion of the pulpit. And then let her see the call from the pulpit. Everybody has different styles. Everybody has different mannerisms and dictation and and uh, levels of uh, volume and and different ways of speaking. Some guys are. Uh, just a great expository. Some of us struggle with our words, and, and we mess words up and sometimes say funny things, and the church laughs at you, and you have no idea why they're laughing at you. And, and you, you say things wrong and backwards. and look, I don't know what your style is, and, and I don't know how God has, has made you and, and put you together. but I do know this: Whatever uh, your personality is, call men from the pulpit. Call men to Christ. That's the goal. Call them to conversion, Acts 16, 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Never get tired of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean preaching. I mean lift up Christ. Take every opera. Now I know there's lots of things to teach and preach. But I'll tell you, it is all centered around Christ anyway. Just preach the gospel. And if someone ever comes up and says, Well, I'm just tired of hearing the gospel. Just preach it one more time. Because they need to hear it again. How can Christians ever get tired of hearing that Jesus died and rose again for them? Preach the gospel. Boy, people in town. Uh, Oh, I know that church. They preach the gospel. Oh, I know that church. You go there today, you're going to hear about Jesus Christ. You go to that church, you'll hear about Jesus Christ. And boy, make it a call to conversion. By the way, do you know that there are people that, that will come and they'll sit in the service who have made profession of faith. And later on down the road, the Holy Ghost will start to stir in their heart that they truly have not been saved. Now, not that I made them or said anything to them, but we just, we had a young lady recently and she said, pastor, I know I'm not saved. I said, are you sure we talked to you? And and she's, I know, but here's what she goes. I didn't do it sincerely from my heart. I really was doing it because mom and all this kind of stuff. I had another young man. He made a profession of faith. One time church got excited. We baptized him later on. He got in trouble and did some things, doesn't mean you're not saved, but he was just messing around, and, and he, we went to teen camp, and he cornered me, he said, Pastor, I, well, he was passionate, I know I'm not saved, are you sure, did you trust Christ, I said the words, but Pastor, you were on my back, and you, you were trying to talk to me, and he goes, I know you meant well, he, and I said, I just, I said it because I wanted you to think, he said, I need to be saved, sometimes conversion comes to those you think already are saved. And there may be people that come to you from different denominations when you start the church, or different backgrounds, and oh, we know Jesus, and you preach the gospel, you'll find out there are folks that need to be saved in the church. Call to conversion, and then a call, uh, consecration to Christ. Boy, preach Christ, you know why? Because people aren't called to conform to you, they're called to conform to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to preach on separation and holiness, and you should, but there's a ra- reason you should preach on that is because of Jesus. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach on separate from this and this and this, and you probably should, but don't forget, it's not about just separating from this, this, this. It's separating from this, 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 so I can get closer to Jesus Christ. Preach Christ. Preach consecration. Preach to the church. Listen, we want to follow Christ. We want to honor Christ. We want to live like Christ. For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. That we should walk in those good works, live for Him, love Him, preach Christ. Well, I want to preach on this subject. Preach Christ, and you'll preach that subject. The pulpit. A church must keep a hot pulpit. I don't mean obnoxious, I don't mean crude, I don't mean being the meanest preacher out there, I don't mean calling people names, hot pulpit, meaning you are filled with the Holy Ghost and you preach the word of God. Why? That's what people need is Jesus Christ. Spurgeon said this, preach the gospel and the gates of hell will shake. Preach the gospel, parodicals will return home. Preach the gospel to every creature. It is the master's mandate and the master's power to everyone who believes. Preach the gospel. And if you center on the word of God and a new church, Jesus Christ will be honored and pleased. Preach the gospel. Number four, if you're going to keep Christ in the church plant, number four, there must be a public demonstration of Christ in the church plant. The doctrine, the decision, the de- declaration from the pulpit, now it's being demonstrated in the ministries of the church. Letter A, demonstrate a Christ-like purpose. Make, sur- make sure the church knows why you exist and why you are there. Have a purpose statement, have a doctrinal statement. Make sure they understand that you are there for Jesus Christ. Well, what is the church there for? The exaltation of Him, as we heard this morning. And then the edification of the saints, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, talks about the job of the pastor, the teacher, to edify, to grow, to teach the Word, that they would not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And then the evangelism of sinners, exaltation, edification, and evangelism. Make sure the church knows that's what you're there for. And then demonstrate a Christ-like spirit. John 1.17 is a great balance. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Boy, sometimes we can, we can kind of lean one towards the other, can't we? It's easy to lean towards the law or the truth. Sometimes we forget the grace. Remember what Paul said to Timothy, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke. Boy, that's my kind of preaching, but exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Oh, you may have to preach hard on some things, but don't you forget those are God's sheep. You have to see them grow. Be patient, gentle, demonstrate a Christ-like spirit, stand for the truth, and stand with grace. Jude 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Oh, stand for truth, stand for the word. But listen to this. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 7 and, 7 and 8. I read this a hundred times, but, but studied it last year, preached it. God used it to really get after my heart. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, as even a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Paul was as gentle as a nurse caring for little children. Now, I saw the way those nurses treated my kids when they were born. They're not so nice these days. I mean, they're pulling legs and pulling arms, and they're dropping gunk in their eyes and making them scream and all that stuff. But I think about uh, after that whole uh, ordeal, you know, you you bring a baby back to mama, and you know what mama does? Just holds that baby tight, nice and easy. I remember when my son Tyler was born. He'll be 12 in just a couple of months, and it seems like he was born just yesterday with Sam, and, and I remember when he, in the hospital, I had never in my life changed a diaper, and I, forgive me, I'm not, I'm still not even a real big diaper guy, I'm kind of a, a pinch hitter if it needs to happen, uh, but that's my wife's calling from the Lord, and so I I try and stay away from the diapers if I can, but I do my fair share, and my wife's uh, just had a C-section, and um, and uh, so, you know, they put her all back together, and that was inexperienced and uh, and uh, she she couldn't get out of bed and they had Tyler in this little plastic uh, fish tank looking thing, you know, and, and he's over there and he starts crying ah, you know, starts crying and Summer said, Rick, she's all tired I said, what? <laughs> I said, I'm trying to rest after the birth <laughs> she said, his diaper needs, now this is the first diaper do we have any dads in the room? Raise your hand if you're a dad you know about the first diaper, don't you? You say, What's that? Ask Brother Abrams. He'll tell you about the first diaper. The first, let's just say it is nasty. It is nasty. You could pave roads with that stuff, man. It is nasty. And I went over to that fish tank and I grabbed my. I'd, I'd never changed a diaper. And I put the diaper at the end of the fish tank, and I picked up my son by the legs, and I scooted my baby son down to the edge of this fish tank instead of putting the diaper up by his little tushy-tush. I pulled him down, and he's crying more. And Summer says, no, don't change his diaper. I didn't know. I wasn't very gentle. You know what mamas are like? They're a whole lot gentler than dads are. And you know what Paul said to the Philippian church? He said, we were gentle among you. Now, I'll tell you something. If there's ever a man that stands, and we heard it this morning, Pastor Chapel stands for truth. But I'm so glad Pastor Chapel has been gentle towards me. He's loved me. And these men, my friends, and you've got to know when you plant a church, you're going in there, and if you reach new converts, you are going to see everything. And you are going to have people tell you the stories, and you're going to be like, you've done what? I don't know if I should invite you to the service or call the police right now. I, I have no idea. You you did what ten years ago, and they're going to look ways, and, and you're going to you're going to think, is there, what, what are we doing here? You know, who Paul was. He was gentle. Do you think Paul ever compromised? <laughs> he wrote the New Testament. He never compromised, but he was gentle. We've got people in our church. I could I could tell you some stories. We <clears throat> we have one couple. I'm almost done. I see the time is up. Some of you falling asleep. So we're about ready to go. We had one couple came in. They got saved, man. And I started to work with them. And they came from backgrounds. I mean two or three relationships that way. And he two and three relationships that way. And Kids from this person and kids from that person and they weren't married then and and, and former drugs. I mean, hardcore stuff and, and alcohol and all this mess. Husband raised on the street. All kinds of mess. And you know what I literally thought to myself? I have no idea what to tell these people. We kept preaching the word. Preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. Preaching Christ. Last Sunday night, that man was our usher. Sunday night church. God began to work on the heart. they came to me and said, Pastor Owens, we've been living together, we need to get married, I said, yes you do, now they had never been married before, boy, they had kids all over the place, and it was almost kind of like a Mormon family or something like that, they just had kids everywhere, and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and I said, boy, let's get you married, we got a backyard of a, of a church family, had a wedding out there, church family came, supported them, boy, it was amazing, got to do my first wedding as a pastor of that church, and and uh, it was great, and... and uh, Boy, I can't tell you how we prayed for him to get saved. And he resisted and finally got saved on an Easter Sunday, first year of the church. And, and uh, now Sunday night, we gave testimonies. He raised his hand, said, Pastor, I remember when you led me to Christ there at the Piccadilly Inn there, <clears throat> McKinley Avenue in Fresno. He said, I was nervous. He said, I was scared. But we went out there. He told him about Jesus. I bowed my head, trusted Jesus. Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I saw that now with a tie on, taking the offering. And you know what I thought to myself? Praise God for gentleness in Jesus. Oh, they know where I stand on things. That's why they had to get married. But gentle. Be gentle. Demonstrate a Christ-like spirit. And then let her see, I think, you to demonstrate the Christ-like goal. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. Let me just give you number five and I'll be done. Thank you so much for listening. There must be a pure dependence on Christ in the church plant. Now in closing, take your Bibles if you would please go to 1 Corinthians 3, just turn over there very quickly, I'm just going to throw it at you and um, let you get out here. Thank you so much for listening and I've really enjoyed uh, uh, being here with you this afternoon. My heart's already full from this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and just notice this quickly. You know the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. You know Paul uh, addressed some of the things. Uh, immorality, the Lord's Supper was a mess. There was a division here in uh, First 1 Corinthians 3, carnality. All this stuff was going on. I'm a Paul, I'm a Paul. As Paul said, you're a bunch of babies, you're, you're a bunch of whiners. He said, I'm feeding you with milk and you should be on meat. You're carnal. He said, what's going on with you? And verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye, beloved, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is, this verse will humble you right here. So then neither is he that planteth anything. I'm a church planter. You're nothing. (laughs) That's what the Holy Ghost said. Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. Letter A, there must be a pure dependence for producing fruit in the ministry. That's not to say you sit back in the office and be lazy. Well, whatever happens, happens. No, you work your socks off, you occupy till I come, you get out there, you be driven, you serve Christ to the best of your ability, but don't you forget while you plant and you water, it is God that brings the results. And then letter B, there must be a pure dependence on Christ so you have proper motive for your ministry. Proper motive. You keep reading chapter three. You know where you're going to stand one day? At the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews 13, 17. Listen well, sir. Obey them that have the rule over you for they uh, over the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. It's they that must give an account That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable unto you. Oh, I can't wait to plant a church and to preach. and Oh, it's exciting, man. It is a blast. But remember, one day you will stand before the owner of the church. And you will give an account. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to disappoint my Lord. It's His church. I'm supposed to be His man. Those are His people. I just want to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep Christ as the head of the church. Be careful not to go your own way and to do your own thing. Always seek the Lord. That way one day one day, you don't hear this. Can I come back in? Because it's his church anyways. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed myself. And thank you for these men and these ladies listening today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our preaching, in our motives, in our doctrinal statement, in every area that Christ, our Lord, would be central. He'd be preeminent, supreme, and the head. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Bless our ministries. Bless where you're going to take these guys and these young ladies. And Lord, help us do it for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.